another episode of break the cycle with me your host joshua smith sorry for the little uh little lag there in the video i didn't realize that my intro was over and i was having a good conversation with our guest tonight uh guys we got a great show for you tonight thank you for hanging out on friday evening uh going into the weekend with us and taking a couple days off the show but let's start off with some sponsors of course we have lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door bring the taste of italy home use btc at checkout for a 10 percent discount and of course my, the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend, Top Lobster, my partner on the show, toplobster.com, uh, for all your graphic design needs. Check him out today. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount, or join the Patreon subscribe star or become a YouTube channel member to get into the private Discord server where we have great people like Stefan Kinsella and Angela McArdle, and uh, you get new designs like the, 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 the Thomas Swole uh, design he released today uh, up to like two weeks early before the general population gets them at a 30% discount. So uh, pretty good stuff in there. And of course, executive producers of the show, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check these people out today. See what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a job the government sucks at much more efficiently and much cheaper. Guys, we have an awesome show to end the week with you today. Uh, I am I am very excited uh, this gentleman was a uh, longtime advisor and chief of staff for Dr. Ron Paul and the president of the Ludwig von Mises Institute. He is Mr. Jeff Dice. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, Josh. I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good, good. So, so typically, oh, we were talking. We were talking before the show started. Uh, yeah, I had Pierre. I had pair on uh, like this week, Wednesday. He was uh, episode sixty nine. So there was a lot of a lot of nices in the chat. Um, but I've had uh, uh, Zuby on. I've had uh, Maj Ture. Oh God, uh, Hotep Jesus, Dave Smith, Scott Horton twice. Um, so it's it's been a really fun show. We've gotten a lot of really cool people on, and you know I was able to leverage some of the contacts from traveling around for four years and meeting people. And um, but typically we start off the show talking about people's journey. But I think, like you said before this, enough people know about you, <laughs> right? Um, but I I do know that uh, some of my some of my um, subscribers wanted to hear uh, if you had a favorite story about working for Ron Paul before we get into anything crazy. What's your favorite story? Oh, you know, Ron is just as he's uh, what you see is what you get. No ego. So that's the number one thing. And I do. I definitely remember going to a C-SPAN debate with him at the Daughters of the American Revolution Constitution Hall in D.C. So this would have been sometime in 2012. And so he's still a sitting congressman. Uh, and it was a Republican debate. So it was Mitt Romney and company. And I'm sure Mitt Romney had spent the three days leading up to the debate in some elaborate hotel suite, like perfecting certain uh, lines and and having his hair primped and and getting some, you know, uh, $8,000 Brioni suit uh, a little bit better tailored. So meanwhile, like an hour before this thing starts, we're in Ron's condo in Northern Virginia, which is basically not, 
frozen in time, 1975. It's got like avocado green appliances and shag carpet. And Ron is puttering around making some Campbell's soup or something. Totally unconcerned about this debate because he basically knows what he's going to say. And, you know, if, he, if he's speaking to a group of, you know, uh, prisoners at, uh, at Folsom or, uh, you know, uh, three or four million normies watching a CNN debate, it doesn't really matter. And uh, so, you know, that that always stuck with me, that sort of lack of pretense, uh, that genuineness. And for all of his, you know, and he'd be the first to tell you he wasn't the greatest public speaker. But for all of his, you know, lack of concern over that that sort of uh, PR or image element of running for president, I think that was actually a strength for him. Because people would hear what he had to say on stage, and it didn't sound scripted. It didn't sound political. And, and most of all, it wasn't boring. And so, you know, that sort of plain spokenness, I think, actually won him a lot of fans. It won him a lot more fans than it did votes. But, um, you know, I think that's something that he was he was really good. He was actually a lot more of a natural politician than people give him credit for. Sure. Yeah, I think he was really relatable to a lot of people, which which helped a lot. Um, and that bold, the bold messaging is something that we should all be able to learn from. And in fact, we got a super chat from uh, King Waffle. He said, "Healthy young man, man reads Ron Paul, gets pumped with massive dose of red pills, doesn't feel good, and changes." Many such autism, many such cases. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's that's why I'm here. That's why uh, you know the majority of the people I know in this movement are here. So. Uh, thank you for for being an advisor and and helping Ron along for sure. Uh, but let's talk about COVID because that's 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 a pretty hot button issue for everybody. Uh, you know we're we're on the the precipice of this. You know who knows what the federal government's going to do now. You know the, the, there's crazy case uh, spikes everywhere and the Delta variant and this and you got to take your vaccine. Well now the vaccines aren't uh, doing anything like they thought they would do. How screwed are we? I mean economically, you know after after these 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 stimulus bills and and packing all the the pork into saving their 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 cronies how screwed are we yeah it's pretty tough to to shut down the world and then restart it which is basically what they tried to do and i would argue that at least in part they shut down the world to get trump um which is pretty sick if you think about it if hillary clinton had been president uh, I think the reaction to COVID would have been very different. And of course, the media's reaction to what Hillary Clinton did would have been very different, would have been a very different story, very different narrative. But uh, basically, we don't really know what money is anymore, because both on the fiscal and monetary side of things, the U.S. federal government went insane uh, beginning in March 2020. So several trillion dollars in stimulus spending out of thin air by Congress and about $9 trillion worth of new money and credit creation by the Fed on the monetary side. You know, this is basically the uh, M1 money supply graph goes vertical in March of 2020. So we don't know what that means. It, it could mean nothing for a while, um, but it sure feels like there's there's nasty uh, inflation spikes out there. And of course, some of this we can attribute to the shutdowns and the slowdowns from COVID, like lumber wasn't being processed, so lumber went way up, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, cars, car lots, they're not really making deals on cars because there's just not enough of them. But, um, you know, I suspect that 
this new round of COVID that they're trying to, to press on us, which is basically maybe the Delta variant. I suspect it's far less lethal, which is why anecdotally we're hearing about a lot more people who are, you know, feeling fluey and sicky and lethargic, but only for a couple of days. It's a lot milder. I think over the past 16 months, most of us have been exposed to COVID already, whether we were symptomatic or not. You know, that's just the way of the world. And then uh, now, the, you know, if there really is something called the Delta variant that, you know, we're, people are getting sick again, but it's much milder. So are they going to shut down the world this fall? I, you know, I think that depends on whether there's a political upside to it. Uh, if, if they insist on masks in school, or even worse, if they insist on sending kids home from school again and doing online, uh, I, I think not only would you see an unbelievable explosion in homeschooling, but I think that would be bad for Biden. I think it would be bad for the Democrats in the midterms. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I uh, the, the, the so-called Delta variant, a lot of doctors will tell you, if you if you look at this virus under a microscope, which they haven't really even isolated it properly, there's no way to tell between the original COVID, you know, little stri- strands and then the variant. I mean, there's no bright line between these things. They're kind of making this stuff up as we go along. And I hope, I hope, given the experience of the last 16 months, that Americans are skeptical and dubious and pushing back on this, I, you know. Um, but there's, there's a weird subcurrent in this country right now. Uh, you know, you could almost call it retreatism of these people who kind of liked shutting down the world. They kind of liked going home and having a great reset. They kind of liked being on their couch with their dogs or whatever all day, every day. They kind of liked not having to be in that grind or that commute or that hustle and bustle. And, you know, um, I think the 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 economics of this are bad enough, Josh. But what I'm worried about is the long term psychology of it. Sure. Uh, the you know the herd mentality, the willingness to comply with authority, and then kids. Kids are the real man. Oh man, they're the real victims. This little little toddlers and infants seeing adults in mass. I don't know what that's going to mean, but um, I mean we've never had the world not just you know one country, but the world shut down. Uh, for that long. And so, of course, that's hugely deflationary. When you, when people stop working, stop driving as much, stop going out to eat as much, stop buying as much, stop traveling as much, of course, all that's hugely deflationary. So, there, there, you know, that all that deflation is being countered by the Fed and Congress who are doing everything they can to basically stick a cattle prod into the economy and, and cause inflation. So I don't know which one of those wins um, if I knew I'd be out there, you know, shorting whatever on E-Trade, I guess. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's 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 so unprecedented. And I think anybody who who's making predictions right now is is foolish because I just don't know. Sure. Yeah. I, I talked with Dave a little bit about uh, when I had Dave on the show about the the um, mental health of our children going forward and how long it's going to take for people to get over all of this. I mean, we have people who are just going to live the rest of their lives terrified, no matter what they do, whether COVID, even if COVID went away, they're going to spend at least the next decade, just absolutely terrified to go outside, to be around people. It's, it's really, it's really uh, ruined our, our, you know, the growth of our children all over the country for sure. Um, uh, Let's see. I, I got another super chat. If you want to talk about this, uh, Jason Booth threw a five dollars super chat. He said earlier this year on economics, liberty, inflation. You said economics is just a word for social cooperation. 
Can you expand on that? Is that something you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, that's how we deal with one another in the marketplace. As a matter of fact, Mises was going to title his book, Human Action, Social Cooperation. In other words, what's the, what's the nexus by which strangers, which is most of us in a big developed modern society, most of us are strangers. So what's the nexus? What's the mechanism by which we all deal with each other peaceably? And the short answer is markets. But, you know, voluntary cooperation is just another word for markets. You can deal with with someone else or not. And and uh, but when when we're yoked under government, then we're in effect dealing with one another violently. You know, not directly, but through our proxy, through through voting. Uh, so those are the two basic choices. And for all the, you know, all this. Uh, third way thinking and neoliberalism and all these sort of like, well, the world's changed and the great reset. And now we have crypto and we have this and that. N- none of that changes the, the, the fundamental choice. You know, how do human beings deal with one another? They deal with each other by economic means or they deal with one another uh, by violent means, by state means. Th- those are the two basic choices for humanity. And, and there's no there's no getting around those with with fancy language or, you know, new theories or anything like that. You can't use MMT or, uh, you know, uh, some sort of social democracy. Nothing escapes that. So, yeah, I think I think economics is is dismissed even by a lot of libertarians like, well, that's just the, the financial or the money side of things. But there's also an element of individual or personal freedom that is not bound up with economics. I don't think that's really true. I think if you look at economics properly, it contemplates uh, virtually everything, uh, you know, uh, family, uh, individuals, uh, civic and social institutions, uh, the, the marketplace itself. And then if you get into public choice and that sort of thing, it contemplates government as well and the perverse incentives which government creates. So, um, you know, I, I look at economics holistically I don't look at it as a narrow subset of of hu- human activity, but but that look, I'm biased. I mean, everybody, you go to anybody in any profession. I'm not an economist, but you, you know, if you go to surgeons, they they're going to say you need surgery. If you go to physical therapists, they're going to say you need physical therapy. If you go to economists or people who love economics, they're going to say everything's economics. So that's that's where I am. Sure, absolutely. So we we talked a little bit before we started the show, but um, a while back, and you and you've been pretty vocal about this on on social media and stuff about you know us kind of separating our movement from the term libertarian, um, you know, and and how that term's kind of been ruined. I know that it's there's been some pushback from some in the caucus, maybe in the Mises caucus on on that you know that narrative. But I mean, what what do you mean by that, and and why do you think that would be a good idea for us? Well, I don't know that I think that. I mean, I ha, has the term been ruined? I'm kind of on the fence about that. And by ruined, I I don't mean uh, you know intentionally or something. I just mean that language evolves and terms are either abused or misused sometimes into obsolescence. And so uh, earlier this year, I, I think it was this year. Yeah, it was it was earlier this year in Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I was talking about this this great George Orwell essay from, I believe, 46 called Politics in the English Language. You can find it online. It's really short. And, he, you know, he, he talks about how politics shapes language and abuses it. And he comes up with this category of meaningless words. And he says, these are words which are used in consciously dishonest ways. 
And when I look at, at the morphology of the term libertarian over the years, I mean, now it's, it's come to mean so many different things to so many different people. The question becomes, and I'm not saying that I personally have an answer, but the question becomes, is this term like liberal? Because liberal means a lot of things to a lot of people. It means a very different, you know, it's, it, Mises is liberalism and the liberal nationalism he lays out in that book or nation state and economy is a very different thing from, let's say, Robert Reich's liberalism yeah. or Bill de Blasio's liberalism or even even slightly different than Friedrich Hayek's or uh, Ron Paul's. I mean, it means different things to different people. And at some point um, that a lot of people feel that term was co-opted by the left and that it, it almost became too late to reclaim it. And, and there was an attempt by using this term classical liberal. And that, that term gets thrown around a lot. But what people don't understand, David Gordon has written about this, classical liberalism is kind of a made-up 20th century term. Nobody used that before the 1900s. And so it was hearkening back to really a pre-war, uh, an, an 1800s ideal of, of uh, enlightenment liberalism. And so you know, the very fact that the term had morphed is why, uh, you know, like Hayekians and sort of the George Mason, Reason, Cato crowd started saying, well, we're classical liberals. We're the real liberals. We're the classical kind. And the problem with that is that the left isn't buying it. You, you go tell the left, a left progressive, you're a classical liberal, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll laugh you out of the room. They don't care. They're not interested in these distinctions. Progressivism is not a buffet. You know, you don't get to pick and choose the parts of it you like. It's a, it's a grinding, uh, you know, force in society. All right. So at some point, even a lot of libertarians would say, man, we sort of lost the term liberal. So could that ever happen to libertarian? I, you know, um, I think it could. I mean, there, a lot of people um, believe that to be a libertarian today is to accept a whole host of left cultural precepts, which I personally don't accept. Sure. Uh, and moreover, that to be a libertarian means that you accept progressive means, but you just want libertarian ends towards those means. And I don't accept progressive ends. That's not the kind of country I want or the kind of society I want to live in. So, um, you know, is that term a hindrance today? Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's above my pay grade, but I'm not interested in being libertarian, this idea of being libertarian. Libertarian's an adjective. It's not a noun, okay? There's a libertarian, libertarian drug policy says drugs ought to be legal and, and you know, decriminalized. That's a libertarian policy. When you say someone is a libertarian or I'm a libertarian, or you're not a libertarian because you don't, uh, you know, then, then it becomes sort of like it's a lifestyle or it's a, a mode of living or it's a w way of seeing the world or something. And I, I don't like that. Um, I think being, being, having libertarian views ought to be uh, as innocuous and as commonplace as if you went up and down your street and said, like, well, who's Catholic or who has red hair or something like that, you know, is ubiquitous, like, like um, rather than this sort of clubbish thing uh, where, where I'm interested in being libertarian. And, and you see this all the time. I saw this today on Twitter. When I say today, I'm speaking of Friday, whatever today's date is. And um, but uh, there, you know, Dave Smith had apparently talked about immigration 
in in some podcast, and he was being attacked for sort of not being taking a strong open borders position. And and I don't know where Dave is personally on that. I'm I'm against open borders. I think it's a crazy, bad idea. Uh, I think it is deeply illiberal. I think it's a big government project, which would never happen in a, a much freer or more liberal society. Uh, but nonetheless, a lot of people now have have said, well, part of being a libertarian noun is to be for open borders. And if you're not for open borders, you're not a libertarian. Right. Well, okay. I'm not for open borders. So if that if that means semantically I'm not a libertarian, that's fine with me. I don't care. I'm interested in being right and correct, and I'm interested in human flourishing. And I, you know, I disagree with Walter Block on some things. Um, you know, with this pure deontological approach. I think, you know, when when the consequences of something don't seem to jibe with the principle. I think you have to take another look at, at the principle. And so on on immigration, for example, um, I believe that human beings have the r- natural right to leave a place. Uh, you know, no, no one should ever be falsely imprisoned or enslaved. But that's different than the right to enter a place. And the fact that we have government property and government roads and government airports and ports and the fact that we have public goods and, and vast swaths of public land, whether it's you know, municipal or county or state or federal, the, the fact that that's all muddied up by government, well, that's, that's a complicating factor. Okay? But so who owns and controls that and how ought they own and control that you know, for whose benefit or who should they allow or exclude? Okay, those those questions are a little more complex, I think, than the open borders people want to admit. But but my point here is not to litigate the borders question. And, and at the Mises Institute, we actually have far more diversity of viewpoint sure. on borders than almost any place anywhere in Libertarianism Inc. It's just like you're for open borders, and that's it. Or you're basically not getting hired. Hi kids, do you like violence? Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over. Cer- here we certainly have a Cato. Walter, right. We have Walter Block. We have Ryan McMakin. We have, you know, Hoppe. You know, so, okay, fine. But if that, if things have shifted, and this is a relatively recent phenomenon, treating immigration and open borders as a litmus test for whether one is libertarian, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that it was kind of a much more minor issue. If that makes me not, not a libertarian, you know, that's fine. Yeah. And I, I've, uh, I've also, I mean, just in the decade or so that I've been involved in the, the movement, uh, uh, you know, the broader movement, I've seen it pop up a lot more too. And I, I feel like it's such a wedge issue anyways, because as a libertarian, we have almost no power over what happens with immigration anyways, uh, that it's silly to be arguing about it inside the broader movement. But yeah, that, that, uh, you know, that all that stuff really seemed to kind of permeate out of Cato really. And there's a couple people I like at Cato, you know, I'm not going to say everybody at Cato is horrible. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of the Institute as a whole, but I mean, it's, does it feel like they're trying to drive away the Mises types by using that that issue? Well, 
yes, I think a lot of the impulse behind the open borders people is Mises Institute bad. Yes, I do think that. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably got something to do with it too. And I know Davis ha- has talked a little bit about how, you know, ma- mass uh, open immigration would be bad with the welfare state. And I know that that's, um, that's something that a lot of, you know, quote unquote libertarians agree with, you know, that's, that's the thing is it's not, we're, it's not a one size fits all issue, uh, especially while, right, right. while but, state... I mean, to me, it's also not a defining or, uh, you know, it's, it's not an issue which animates me. If somebody's for open borders, I mean, that, that's fine. I'll talk about that. I'll even contemplate that. I wouldn't say, oh my gosh, you know, you're, I can never be involved with you politically, or I renounce you entirely because you're for open borders. I mean, I just don't see it that way at all. I mean, I think, um, I I think it's just something where it, it starts to affect the use of the term itself. And so when, when a term is used so broadly by so many people with really disparate worldviews, at some point, you have to say, has this become one of Orwell's meaningless words? Right? That's my point. Sure, sure. Yeah. And it, it certain, so it certainly seems like, seems like only one side is litigating what the proper role of libertarians on immigration is. So at least, at least it's not coming from the Mises Institute, you know? <laughs> uh, we got a lot of super chats if you want to answer some of these. Uh, Top Lops, the thanks, $5 super chat. He said, Ayn Rand lexicon is a great book of what words used to mean. Uh, it's not a question. It was just a, oh, this was a good one. Uh, level zero. Yeah, well, le- le- Ayn Rand Lexicon is alphabetical A to Z, by the way, edited by Harvey Binswanger, who, believe it or not, is still alive. Wow. That guy must be in his 90s. And, of course, it starts with a, in my opinion, a terrible uh, little vignette on abortion where she says an acorn is not a tree or something like that. But, you know, there, there's there's another thing. I he, let me Let me say something about abortion. I actually looked up the plank in the libertarian, the national main libertarian party sure. plank for abortion. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, so there you go. It's well, hey, look, there you go. Cato is is turning over right now. Uh, yeah, it, you know, I I can't. It basically doesn't take a stance on it. Yeah, legislatively, and I think that it that's, says something you know, like people of goodwill can disagree, and it ought to be localized or something like that. Yeah, I was good, like, yeah, that's about as good as you can do. Yeah, there's good faith arguments on both sides of it, is what it says in the platform, which is, you know, I get it, but I also understand why some people don't want to join the party because of it. You know what I mean? I'm I'm a pro life guy personally. Uh, I I you know if I could hit the Murray Rothbard button, I would. Uh, so I guess I can't really be for legislating certain things, but you know, is it murder? Or is it not murder? I mean, you know, that's kind of the the moral question, at least. Um, I don't really know where Ayn stood on that stuff, to be honest with you. I haven't read Lexicon, so very. She was very pro-choice. Very oh, okay, okay. That that makes sense. Uh, level zero five dollars super chat. Thank you. He said we've seen the great the great reset as described by the World Economic Forum being kickstarted. What would it really mean, do to the world if enacted? Do you got? Do you, I mean, is that? Are you? Uh... Well, we know what it would it would do. It would it would further intensify the gulf or the divide between the middle and lower classes and elites. I mean, that's what it would mean. It would mean more centralization. It would mean more supranational or international governance. It would mean that your your ability as a local person to have a say over the laws which govern you would be even more attenuated than it is now by D.C., I mean, it's bad enough that we outsource so much to D.C. Now we'd be outsourcing it to Brussels or or wherever. Um, 
you know, I, I think it would uh, I think it would be uh, austerity for thee, but not for me. I think there would be uh, private jets and Davos and, uh, you, you know, um, and I think the rest of us would be like, hey, you know, don't only turn your air conditioning down to 80 in the summer. You know, climate change, you know, that I think that's what it would look like. And of course, the developing nations, you know, huge, vast swaths of of Africa and India and China, you know, which are just now uh, rising up out of, you know, centuries of poverty and saying, hey, we're interested in how a society gets rich. You know, we want all that stuff. We want um, all the modern conveniences. We want automobiles. We want air conditioning. We want good internet. We want all that stuff. You know, right as these countries are sort of getting towards that tipping point, the great resetters want to say, well, you know, that all uses too much electricity. Well, there's climate change. The oceans are rising. Well, no, no, no. Not everybody can just fly around and not everybody can eat meat because cows produce methane and this and that. You know, it, it sure strikes me as a uh, exceedingly mean spirited attack on the uh, have nots. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what I've seen, too. It's just going to create less of a middle class. And uh, we're, we're all going to get poor together, Jeff. That's where we're headed. That's where they want us. It's right where they want us. Uh, Derek Slight, thanks for the $5 super chat, man. Uh, this is a good question-ish. Um, one's compliment, uh, $5 Canadian super chat. Thank you. Uh, have you had any exposure to Curtis Yarvin? Do you know about Yarvin at all? I, I know who he is. Um... I, I can't, I find him just impenetrable and wordy. I don't, I don't read that. Sure. It's too much. Sure. I, I, I was wondering if you were familiar with the neo-reactionary movement. And, uh, the, uh, this super chat was asking if you saw any value and engagement with the neo-reactionary circles, which, you know, the, the Kurt Yarvin's the one who wrote about the cathedral and, and stuff like that, which we all talk about yeah. quite a bit now. Well, I mean, I, I can't keep up with all the neos. I mean, Jesus, can't we just have... <laughs> Can't we just have old-fashioned reactionaries like me? I mean, and, and here's here's what people don't want to say is to be a libertarian is to be a reactionary against the 20th century, in effect. Uh, income tax, central banking, social security insurance, Medicare, two world wars, police action in Korea, a, you know, debacle in Vietnam, uh, LBJ's Great Society entitlement programs. I mean, to be a libertarian is to be against all those progressive pushes, those incremental changes of the 20th century. So when when libertarians want to say, oh, my gosh, those those right libertarians, those Mises Institute people are reactionaries like, well, OK, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm against the things I just mentioned. Sure. That yeah. makes me reactionary then. So be it. But Neo, that's that's uh, I don't know what the hell that means. They love that term neo man. This it, it all it means all neo means is new, right? So like Tom. Well, I use I use neoliberal earlier, so I'm falling into meaningless words myself. Sure, sure, yeah, but it's funny because you know Tom's a, a neo confederate. You're neo. We're neo reactionaries. We're all neo something. It's like yeah, man, we're all we're all new. We're all living in the the 20th century together. You know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Drywall, thanks for the $20 super chat, man. That's huge. Hey, this is a good one. John Chow, he's a, or, or John Howe. I always say Chow because his middle name is C, but um, he's a lawyer in New York and he's asking about corporations if they're government entities. He says yes. Uh, how, how have you felt about the, uh, you know, the, the great um, censoring 
of of uh, you know people on the right? And do you think that, especially you know these these big tech companies, do you think that we should uh, have some kind of way to push back on all this this censoring? Do you think that they are government entities? Well, I think some of them are certainly close to it. I think they're mostly pretty slimy. Um, but I don't want any regulatory apparatus at the federal or state level because we know what that would be. First of all, it would be a debacle. Uh, antitrust, monopoly, all that stuff. Uh, you know, just go back and read Rothbard, Man, Economy, and State. He's got, I think it's, I want to say chapter, I can't remember the chapter number on monopoly. That'll disabuse you of monopoly or antitrust. And if you wanted to create, you know, if a, if a J.D. Vance or, uh, you know, uh, one of these guys wanted to wanted to get into to the Senate and create a regulatory apparatus for big tech. It, it would just end up being like the FDA or the FCC or something. There'd just be regulatory capture, and, and it would become a huge jobs program and a farce. And, and it, it wouldn't do what it, it what it was intended to do. It would end up doing the opposite and, and cost us a lot of money in the meantime. So I don't I don't call for that. But I just like old fashioned common law tort. Um, I think there I think people ought to bring tort actions against some of these companies when. Uh, under either equitable principles of contract or under tort theory, uh, when they get screwed over, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's it's not a happy time because it really isn't that easy with the network effects to build your own Facebook. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that'll come. I, I I think that'll happen. So uh, you know, as as appealing, it sounds appealing. To have you know government go after these slimy companies, but I don't think it would work. Sure, sure. Well, I know I know you didn't want to stay too long tonight, but and we're we seem to be sort of out of super chats. But uh, before we log off, I want to talk about I want to talk about blood and soil, Jeff. Yeah, it's it's something it's something that uh, has stuck with me. I've watched I've watched the the talk that you gave, and I've even read the transcript, most of it, I think. Um, it's something that's constantly held against. Anybody who says Mises publicly, you know, it's they, oh, Jeff Deist, he said blood and soil. He said blood and soil. But can you, can you expand on what you meant there? I mean, it, to me, I know, right. It was, you know, people in America still care about these things. And if, and, and if we don't as, as libertarians or as the Liberty movement or whatever you want to call this broad movement, if we don't pay attention to that stuff, it's, it's at our own peril. But is that, I mean, that was what you were saying, right? Uh, well, that talk was, um, it's a couple years ago now. First and foremost, that talk was about, hey, look, we, you know, li liberty comports with human nature. We don't need to transcend anything. We don't need to create some sort of Soviet new man uh, to be compatible with liberty. What we have to do is just understand human nature and say that uh, this idea that we're all hyper individualistic is just nonsense. We exist in, uh, you know, a network of family and friends and civic and social responsibilities. And so libertarianism ought to reflect that and not, not to be this ideology of sort of wonkish uh, people who are, you know, are just like heads without bodies, who are, who are just concerned with some, uh, you know, life in the, of ideas in the clouds and not concerned with day-to-day -day interests of people, especially uh, the deplorables whom libertarians love to hate. Uh, you know, no, notice the libertarian silence when a white Trump deplorable gets shot protesting by police in the Capitol. All of a sudden, that's a okay. Oh my gosh, she was an insurrectionist. Uh, so that's a, that's an interesting tell there. But the idea of blood and soil was, uh, you know, it's it's first of all, it's an ancient concept used uh, not only in Germany but in all, all in in other contexts well before the Nazis. But 
the point there was that I disagree with the idea of civic nationalism, of the idea that America is just an idea and that it doesn't, you know, if you go read Rothbard's Conceived in Liberty, America is not an idea. America is a very specific place that has specific, settled by specific people with specific self-interests, uh, you know, not always so peaceably uh, on specific piece, piece of property uh, with specific identities at a particular time and place. It's not just this idea, because if it was an idea, you could just transport it anywhere. We wouldn't need open borders, right? You could have America in Singapore. You could have America in Venezuela. If America is just an idea, then nobody needs to move here. But it's not just an idea, it's a place. And so when some people say like, well, you know, we should all be citizens of the world and this and that, okay, all right. Well, you know, tell that to the Lakota Sioux Indians. Go tell them that they ought to let you in their tribe, even though you don't have any uh, ancestry that's Lakota Sioux, you ought to be able to live amongst their tribe and, and you know, work at the casino or whatever. Uh, go, go tell the Irish that they shouldn't care about Ireland and its history with England. Now, you know, that's all just that's all just water under the bridge. It, it doesn't matter. It's all just the UK now, or at least, you know, not Northern Ireland, but Ireland's just part of the UK now. Uh, you know, tell the Poles, tell, tell the Poles that they shouldn't care about uh, Poland and Catholicism after what they went through in the 20th century squeeze between Germany and, and the Soviets when 6 million Poles died out of only like 30 million in the whole country. They, you know, they shouldn't care about maintaining Polishness. And then, of course, the, the, the biggest example of this is go tell the Israelis and the Palestinians, you shouldn't care about this p plot of land. Forget the Bible. Forget your historical claims. Forget your familial claims. That stuff's all nonsense. You shouldn't, you, know, you should be more evolved than that. You know, this is, this is sort of, I guess, the caricature, and maybe I'm being unkind, the caricature of a DC libertarian worldview that the, everything is universalist, everything applies everywhere. And if you just go explain property rights to, you know, a Buddhist on a mountainside somewhere in a remote village of China, um, that he or she should just nod along. And, and that, that's not how the world works. Um, so I was very much arguing for the idea that we should uh, take people as they are and go from there. And um, so I was I used the term blood and soil descriptively, not prescriptively, because I don't think Americans, most Americans are, are, are mutts. I mean, most Americans don't have Americans aren't very uh, nationalistic. I mean, we are. What, what brings us together today is, I don't know, you know, that's the problem. Sure. <laughs> uh, cheap stuff from Walmart. Well, that's not enough. Uh, so that, you know, that, that's, that was, that's the problem is that, that we have had this sort of pie in the sky thinking. Uh, and so I very much object to the universalist creed. And uh, while I do think that political liberty is, is the goal in the narrow uh, sense of politics, I think beyond that, I think thin libertarianism is dead. I think uh, we have to understand that culture and environment and uh, relationships and civic society matter. So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I wouldn't change a word. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've, I mean, I listened to the speech. I thought it was a great speech. And, uh, you know, everybody just likes to use that, that moniker now. Nazi. Everything's a Nazi. Everything I hate's a Nazi. Any words you say I don't like is Nazism. So uh, that's that's been something that we've dealt with for a long time since that speech, you know, and I just figured 
you you actually giving somebody the the explanation on a show like this would would well, uh, shut somebody up. <laughs> I, di- I I certainly didn't intend to create a situation which uh, you would have to deal with. I, <laughs> yeah. I, that's that's uh, strikes me as bizarre. It's just these these it's you know when there's this very real fight for the soul of libertarianism in this country, and you know as you've said, you're, you're fine with letting the term go. Uh, I think the Mises Caucus and and people like me are like this one last stand to try and hold on to that word. Um, and so you know we've had a lot of accusations lobbed at us of. Being, you know, whatever the hell they call us, reactionaries or white nationalists or Nazis or all this stuff. And they always pick, you know, pick and choose their little things to to use against us. You know, Tom mm-hmm. Woods, you know, being for the Confederacy and and you saying blood and soil and and Hoppe saying physically remove. And it's like it's always this like one phrase, you know, that they can just twist and twist and twist and twist any way they want. And um, that's that's something, you know, I've like I said, I. I I think probably 90% of the people that talk about that have never listened to that, that talk or read the, at least read the transcript from that talk, you know, and that's, that's, well, I'd be, I, I'd be happy to send it to them. <laughs> sure you would. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Before, before we hop off the public stream here, uh, do you, do you, can you tell people what you got coming up, uh, where they can follow you, how they can support you in the Mises Institute? Well, I hope uh, people would consider following me on Twitter at Jeff Deist, all one word, J-E-F-F-D-E-I-S-T. Um, we got a busy fall coming by. I guess next next week, yeah, I'm going to be in Orlando. Y-A-L is having a thing down there. Pretty big event, two or three day event in uh, in Orlando. So that's going to be fun. And, uh, we, you know, we got a, uh, some great books coming out this fall and uh, really, really looking forward to it. We got a lot cooking at the Mises Institute and we've been very fortunate uh, throughout COVID to be, you know, have to own our own building and have a haven of sorts, a place where we can all come without the uh, mania that's been around us. So compared to a lot of the country, we've been very fortunate. Sure. Absolutely. What, can, can you give us a hint on some of the books coming out? I know, I know Paris says he's got a book coming out November ish. So that's pretty cool. Well, we just released a new Hoppe book, which is uh, uh, transcripted from a series of lectures he gave, a whole week's worth of lectures he gave back in 2004. Uh, so that's really interesting, sort of big picture stuff, if you like Hoppe. Uh, we have uh, new books coming out, uh, uh, sort of um, compendiums by Ryan McMakin, who's one of our most prolific writers and a great writer, very underrated writer. More people ought to be reading him. Uh, new book by me. Uh, which is also a compendium. We've got Per Bylands, a uh, great Austrian primer, which is just going to blow everything out of the water. It's going to be like half the length of Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. It's going to be literally like a pamphlet that you can put in your in your backpack or whatever when you get on a plane. It's going to be absolutely timeless and devastating. And then we've got a great uh, Bob Murphy book coming out in December, which is going to explain all these, you know, all this crazy technical plumbing behind commercial banks and central banks. We all like to criticize the Fed, but when we do, we, we kind of need to know what we're talking about in terms of the mechanics of all that. And that's actually been a big knock on uh, people of the Austrian view, which is, hey, you guys you guys have great theories about interest rates and business cycles and yada, yada, but you know, out here in the real world, this is how commercial banks actually work, and this is how treasury debt is actually issued, and this is how the Fed actually interacts with the treasury and commercial banks and yada, yada. And so Bob Murphy has written just an unbelievably uh, great book uh, that really simplifies and demystifies all that. Uh, so I think, 
you know, it's it's going to be like eating your Wheaties, you know, or, or uh, going go, go to the gym for leg day. You might kind of not want to, but you know it's going to be good for you. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it Bob's great. I, I'm excited for that book, definitely. I, I got to keep adding, you know. I got to keep adding back here. But, uh, Jeff, I appreciate you so much and everything that sure. you do for this movement. Uh, if you could just hold on for like two minutes, I'll end this stream with, with the, the people and then – uh, if you're if you're willing to do ten more minutes for the okay, exclusive sure. guys, that'd you be bet. great. Awesome, thank you so much. All right, guys, another awesome episode of Break the Cycle. Jeff is probably one of the most effective uh, communicators of our principles and and economics. I love the guy to death. Uh, please go follow him on Twitter. He needs to have way more followers than I do on Twitter. I don't understand why you guys aren't following him. Do it. Uh, shout out to ha- John Howe for another uh, super chat. I appreciate you, buddy. And Bubblegum Gun for the based and realist pilled Confederate party super chat. Uh, guys, go check out my sponsors, Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee uh, needs delivered directly to your door. Use uh, Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, toplobster.com, uh, the man, the myth, the legend. Please go give this man your money. He works. He Basically, I have him chained up in the basement just drawing all the time. So go buy stuff from this guy so he can uh, afford to, to buy his way out. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And of course, anthemplanning.com, executive producer of the show, uh, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today. See what they can do for your, your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a job that the government sucks at much more cheap and much more efficiently. That's what I meant to say. Uh, Drywall O, thanks for the $5 super chat. He said, y'all better join B- Mises Caucus or I'll beat you to death. Uh, coming up on the show next week, we got t- uh, so many amazing guests. I hope you guys will stick around uh, after the weekend. I will see you on Monday for the show with the uh, the founder of the Redacted Caucus. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, sign up right now to watch the uh, live uh, uh, exclusive chat right after this ends with uh, Mr. Jeff Dice. It's going to be a good one. I will see you on Monday, but until then, don't forget to break the cycle. to explain the lyrics of my last song may seem to contain a violent call to action in the verse of frame but i just landed in minecraft the helicopter part wasn't referenced to gta 5 and the things you do so when any violence you commit i am not an excuse because i just landed in minecraft what chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft You're nothing I mean, you know it No product in us gets the close to COVID